Come on, if you're excited to be in church, make some noise. Come on. Good to see everybody here. Look at your neighbor and tell them that you're glad they are here. Tell somebody, I am glad that you're here today. God bless you. Come on. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I got a special guest that came to church today from our evangelism at Wright College. Arby, would you just raise your hands? They're going to clap for you. This is awesome. I want you to make sure you say hi to Arby, especially some of my young guys, you know, like Angel and Rudy and Andrew. I want you guys, anybody say hi to him, but some of the guys, I think you guys will love Arby. And that's why we've got to go out and share our faith and tell the world about Jesus. Amen. And that's what God will do. And I hope you have a good time today. I won't embarrass you too much more. See, Alex is going to hang out with you. Take him out for lunch. We have been in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter written by Paul to the church of Ephesus now for seven months. We've gone verse by verse, and this is the last verse of the first chapter. Seven months, one chapter. How many of you have been learning your Bible on Sundays? So next week, we'll be going into chapter 2, so start reading to get ahead. I've asked you to take 20 minutes once a week to read the whole book of Ephesians. That's all it takes. Audio Bible, 20 minutes. You can even have it with hip-hop in the background like I do when I'm working out. And so what we're going to do today is conclude Paul's prayer with what I think is the crescendo of who Jesus is in us. Somebody say, fills everything. Amen. I think you're going to enjoy how this turns out today. Here is the prayer in its entirety. We'll be learning Paul's second prayer as we go into the book of Ephesians. And you can think of it like this. Paul's first prayer is that we'll know Jesus. Paul's second prayer is that we'll know the love of God. You could summarize your Christian life through his prayers, knowing and loving God. Can I get an amen? So here it is, verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Everybody say, know him better. Thank you. That is my prayer for you. So think about this. Paul starts the church by winning souls. Paul then has to go to other places, other cities, to preach the gospel and win more souls and make more disciples. He sends these letters to instruct them. Epistles are letters from apostles. Paul is a church planner. That's an apostle. He's the entrepreneur of the church. God is giving him heavy revies, the revelations of God. It's inspired scripture. What he wants them to know is he's praying for them. He has not stopped praying ever since they've come to know Jesus. And I pray for all of you the same way. Seven days a week, oftentimes 24-7, you are in my prayers. And it's always, God, thank you for for them. Thank you that they come here. With all the problems, with all the things that happened in the church, I'm still thankful that you're here because otherwise you wouldn't know the problem solver Jesus. Amen. And don't try to solve your problem at the bar. Come to the church. So I'm not turned off by problems in the church because I know there's a problem solver. So thank you for coming here. And also I get to celebrate life with you. Your baptisms, your baby dedications, the marriages. And sadly, yes, I marry and bury. And some of the 
those funerals are often memorable. When I think about Cynthia Rodon's funeral of her mother, who was a great mother, a wonderful woman, but didn't know the Lord personally because she was raised Roman Catholic, but she gave her heart to the Lord in our church, and that was a wonderful sending home ceremony for her mother to know that she's with the Lord. And as a pastor, I'm praying for you, just like Paul, that you may know Jesus. See, that's the purpose here, that you may know him and that you'll have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Our God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit want to give us? Wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If you don't have a definition of wisdom, write it down here. It is the application of knowledge. You can know things but not know how to use the knowledge you have. Wisdom is the application of knowing what you know. You have to have knowledge and the application. Somebody say wisdom. You need that when it comes to God. You need to know God, the things of God, and how to apply them in your life. How many need to have wisdom as a mother or a father, a parent? How many need wisdom on their job? How many need wisdom to live in this city, in this world? Don't be discouraged. The Bible says it will get worse as it comes towards the end. But as it does, we can shine brighter in the darkness. Amen? Light is always stronger than darkness, and that we, uh, light is stronger than darkness, and love overcomes hate, so we win. And revelation literally means revealed. The light turns on, you get it. Oh, I never saw that before. Oh, that's a revelation. And what the Spirit wants to do is give you the wisdom and the revelation to know God better. Here's what it means to know God better, 18 and onward. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Everybody say enlightened. See, enlightenment doesn't belong to Buddha. It doesn't belong to Hindu teaching. You can say, stop that. I don't need a fortune cookie. I need Jesus. I'm not saying we slap the hand of the people. Just slap the hand of the nonsense, in other words. We're nice to people, but slap the folly of this world. And you don't need to wear yoga pants and to be a vegan, to be enlightened. All you need is Jesus. Amen. How many meat eaters do I have here today? Amen. So you slap down any theology, any belief about God that tells you got to get in vegan pants, do the crooked chicken, and, and have a guru to be enlightened. No, all you got to do is know Jesus. And then your heart will be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to these three things that Paul is praying for. Number one is hope. Everybody say hope. Paul is praying that they'll have hope beyond the scope of human limitation. Everybody sees Vegas, everybody feels the pain, but it's only the Christian that has the hope beyond the pain. It's only the Christian that can see good coming out of evil. You say, well, what about the guy who did it? What about him? What good comes out of that? He's in hell right now. I think that's good. Because in a world where there is no God, he wins. He committed suicide. He just shut off the game. You know that kid you played that always wanted to beat you at Street Fire, and finally he beat you, then he shut off the game and just left? And you're like, come on, that's not fair. It's my chance to beat you back. No, I'm done. Well, that would be life without God. He killed everybody, took his life, game over. Except not game over. He woke up in eternity in hell, and he's there now. My God is just. Can I hear an amen? I got hope for judgment day when that joker's brought back out in front of all of creation, and then he's sent to the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. I got hope for justice. Can I hear an amen? 
I not only have hope for justice, I got hope for good things to come. I got hope that those who are hurt today can recover because God made bodies to recover and God gave wisdom to doctors to help and God gave a culture, the word of God to base its society upon and we can do better as we're better in the Lord. Amen? So I got hope beyond the scope of human limitation. You need to have that hope too. Even hope beyond this life. What's the next thing Paul prays for? A glorious inheritance. Somebody say glorious inheritance. You've got to see life more than the 80 years you're living. If all you see is this here, then you are living with a very small mindset. You will be in eternity a lot longer than you will be here. Heaven is a waiting place until the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. We will be upon this earth ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And I'm telling you, after that a thousand years, the eternal kingdom will be with us in the kingdom of God. So a thousand and the eternity, a thousand plus eternity, that's a long time. Don't trade your 80 years for eternity in hell. Store up treasures in heaven. Be faithful to God. Love him. Be a disciple that makes disciples. Amen. Be rewarded with the jewels of your good deeds. We're saved by grace, not by good deeds, but we're rewarded by the good deeds we do through God's grace. How many have a glorious inheritance in Jesus? You should be storing it up. And then the third thing is his incomparably great power. Somebody say, I got the power. I got the power. That's what we have in Jesus. You see, I'm not talking about power to lift weights. I'm not talking about power to go to the gym. That's human strength, and it will fail you. The Bible says youth even grow tired and weary. Just find them that 3 in the morning after their Mountain Dew night. Come on. They do eventually wear out. And I'll tell you what, you can get your strength back. Let me tell you how to do it, by renewing your strength in the Lord. Just as the body gives you strength in sleep, the Holy Spirit gives your spirit strength and gives you emotional stamina. That's why you can go through stressful situations and not be stressed out because no matter how much you're stressed, you're too blessed to be stressed. Amen? Stressful situations just turn you to your knees and your heart towards God. So do we suffer in the world? Yeah, we have problems just like all the world does. But once again, we got the problem solver. We've got the power. And I, I know it makes a difference. This is not just good preaching. My tests are my testimony. And there are things that should have took me out, and they took other people out, but I'm here still alive because of God's power. And there are things that have happened in other people's marriages that, you know, and they're already divorced, and they're already on their second and third, but my wife and I are here 12 years strong. And there are things that have happened already in children's lives and things that have taken away their, their, their future and their innocent, but my children know the ways of God. And that's by the power of the Lord. So you don't know my sister, alcoholic, died drinking and driving. You never met her. You didn't meet my other sister, a drunk, lived with a man she was never married to. At 50 years old, got hit by a car in front of the liquor store, and I had to be there in the hospital with her. Pray she gets saved. And you never knew my brother, who was an alcoholic, pot-smoking man, abused his wife while she had lupus. So you don't know my family and what I've come from. I know the power of God. I know the curses that he broke off of my life and where I would be without him. My brother looks older than my mother because he's wasted his life on drugs and alcohol. If you don't believe me, uh, Facebook Lauren, our administrator on Facebook, and I'll send you a picture of my brother to pray for him because he's been wore out by sin. The power of God will keep you young. Put a pep in your step. Turn your frown upside down. The, the, the power of God. Come on, somebody. The power of God will have you stay in love with your spouse. Fight through the bad times till you get to the good times. The power of God will have you be more blessed with $10 than somebody is with a million dollars. 
Because I'm telling you, what you have on the inside is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's what Paul was praying for, that you would know that power. Can I get an amen? But that ain't the message. That's just the intro to the message, baby. We got to get here to verse 22 and 23. This is the end of the prayer. This is what we've been building up to. And God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. How many things is he over? Everything for what? The church. Church is very important, isn't it? Here's today's verse, last verse of chapter 1. Read it with me, 1, 2, 3. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now look at the challenge that I have as a pastor. I have to explain to you how he fills through his body everything in every way. The body is the church. Point to where Christ's body is today. That's his, that's his church right here. It's us. He doesn't live in a temple made of wood and stone. He lives in hearts, doesn't he? And through the church, the Bible says he's going to express his presence and power to everything and every way. Somebody say, get deep. Amen. Here were the nine things of Paul's prayer. Go over them if you miss them on the app or online and start reading chapter 2. We're going to talk about grace next week. Here we're going to learn some theological terms. And let me explain to you theological terms, okay? When we talk about theology, it's the study of God. Theos is God. Ology is the study of. That's why you have biology, bio, bio is life. Ology is the study of. Psychology, psyche, the mind, etc. Okay, these are Greek words. The Bible comes from the Greek culture. They were Hebrews living in Rome, but Rome spoke Greek, and they were influenced by the Greek language. So a lot of the words I'll be going through today are Greek, but trust me, you'll understand them. When we use words in theology that aren't found in the Bible, they're like a cup holder to give a place to the thoughts that we're coming up with. So theologians do this. So take, for example, you've got coffee. That's the most important thing, but you set it on the cup holder so that it can have a place to sit and not ruin your your table. You take off your jacket, you put it on a coat stand. The jacket's more important than the stand, but the stand is there because it holds it. The reason why we use the word trinity is because triunity describes what the Bible teaches. The inerrant word of God says in the name, singular, one name, one God of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is where we get the idea of the trinity. The word trinity is what we hold the doctrine on of the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are you listening? I've already lost half of you. I better rewind a little bit. Theologians use theological terms to describe the verbiage of the Bible. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you find the concept there. We use the terms as coat holders, as cup holders, to hold the doctrine so you can understand it. Does everybody get that? When we use the word hypostatic union, what we're describing is the union of God becoming man. When we use the terms Bible to describe the scriptures, we're actually calling the book the Bible, which are our scriptures. The word Bible is not in the Bible. The word scripture is. These are the kinds of things we do as theologians. That's what I do to help you. This is where our history comes from. We're an ancient people, though we're contemporary, and the Bible's more relevant than the newspaper, but it's about 6,000 years old. Are you listening? So you have to understand our traditions. Now I'm going to teach you a word, panentheism. Everybody say panentheism. Greek word, pan meaning all in, en meaning in, theism, God, all in God. 
all in God. This is a term, and you're going to understand what it means. It's the belief that God pervades and interpenetrates every part of the universe and also extend, extends beyond matter and space-time. Everything today, the Bible says, comes back to Jesus. So I better be able to explain to you everything. Are you about ready to learn the meaning of everything? Okay, here's the meaning of everything. Here it is. It's God. Now let me explain it to you in a way you can understand. There are different worldviews, ways that people put on glasses and see the world. Here are the major worldviews that people look at everything. You have the atheist, Greek word atheism, A being the negative, no God. All there is for them is the universe. Here's the problem. They don't know where the universe came from. They don't know where the information came from. They don't know the, why there's conformity in the constants of the laws of gravity. They don't know why we're conscious. But we're just conscious and we're here. So here's what the atheist says. The universe is all there is and whatever else I don't know, I don't know. Sounds pretty foolish to me, doesn't it? Because they basically want to act like a know-it-all when they don't really know nothing at all. If you don't know where the universe came from and you believe in the universe being here, nothing, from nothing, nothing comes. So the atheistic mindset is really an ignorant mindset. Sadly, many scientists are atheistic, but they are building on the building blocks of the greatest scientists of all times who were Christians, who came out of the Enlightenment during the Great Reformation in Europe. Sir Isaac Newton, Christian, the founder of the inductive method, Francis Bacon, the scientific method, Christian. Are you guys listening? Copernicus, Christian, and I could be here all day. So atheism obviously is folly. The Bible literally says the fool says in his heart there is no God. So they say, hey, Christians, give me the universe, give me the laws, give me all the information of DNA and the molecular structure, and then we'll explain the rest. No, silly atheist, you get none. Start with your own dirt. Just make dirt, and then we'll listen to you. You, you get the joke? Okay, the devil said, I can make a better creation than you, God. And God said, okay, you go for it. The devil said, okay, give me something. And, and God said, no, start by making your own dirt. The devil has no creative power. Everything here is as a result of God. Now we're here. And the fool just says in their heart there's no God because they know there's a God, but they don't want to believe in him because of the expectation of that God in their life. So what they're really saying is not no God because that would make no sense. They say it with their words, but really it's not what they're saying in their heart. What they're really saying is no God for me. That's what they mean. The next one is pantheism. Now, don't confuse this with panentheism. Pantheism is all is God. So God equals the universe. This is basically the two major religions of the East, Buddhism and Hinduism. But as you can see, this is a contradiction. If everything in the universe is God and God is everything in the universe, then there really there is no God or there is no universe. It's contradicting. Let me explain it to you. If I say everything is two and everything that is two is three, is there really a two and is there really a three? If, if I say all bachelors are married and all married people are bachelors, is there such thing as a married bachelor? It's just confusing. It sounds cool with yin and yang, but it's actually contradiction. It's nonsense. Here's another way to disprove it. I was in India, and I asked the man about his beliefs in God. He says, you're a God, I'm a God, the fork's a God. And I said, no, you're a fool, he's a fool, and everyone else is a fool who believes that way. Now, when I say a fool, I don't mean in a bad way. I just mean it in a way of like Mr. T because I pitied a fool. 
Let me just give you one distinction between us and the universe. This is in the universe. I'm in the universe. Can this think and talk? No, so then we can't be the same thing. And I can show distinctions all throughout the universe. And as a matter of fact, then they have the same problem of causality. Where did the universe come from? From nothing, nothing comes. Why is there information? Information only comes from intelligence. It's impossible to have information without intelligence. Like we said, from particle physics, from particle physics to the DNA code, everything is information. Where did it come from? So now we go a little bit further to deism. This is what a lot of the uh, uh, early founders of America were. This is what, um, this is what uh, Albert Einstein was, some famous scientist. And so it's much better than the foolish position of atheism. Deism is the absent God. So yes, there's a God. We totally get that. We're not foolish like an atheist to say this came from nowhere. Like, okay, I get that. Like Albert Einstein understood that. But God's not involved in our lives. He's just absent. He's like the one going bowling. The universe is the bowling ball, and he just, just threw it out into the somewhere, and we'll figure it out later. But you can't figure out spiritual things through natural laws. So let's just live by natural laws and figure out spiritual things when we die. The problem with that is that contradicts Jesus. Jesus said, I came from the Father. I've been in heaven. I know what it looks like. He then said, I came to die for your sins. He proved that he came to do that by raising from the dead. He ascended to heaven, our disciples saw him. So what you calling Jesus a liar? So now we got a problem, right? Because Jesus didn't lie. Jesus died and raised from the dead. So deism does not explain our encounters with Jesus, nor does it explain our human soul and the reason why humans are different than animals. And so they may try to use evolution, but evolution does not explain how the goo could go through the zoo and become you. You can have goo all day long. It will never turn into something in the zoo. And those animals in the zoo, you could give them a billion years and they'll never turn into you. You are a mystery to the deist. You are the perfect accident to them. But we don't call it an accident. You're the divine creation of God. Now there are two options for the Christian. The dualistic view or the pantheistic view, panentheistic view. The dualistic view is very good, but it became popular only really in the last 50 years because people wanted to try to explain how God was separate from the universe, which is true, and how he also interacts with the universe. This was called God's transcendence and God's imminence. He is transcendent, separate from us, but yet he is intimate, close to us. And so they basically had the idea that God is coming and visiting us as he does through the prophets and Jesus and all of those things. And there's a lot of truth to that. The problem is it doesn't make sense of the scriptures that say God is much more closer than just a visiting person that's way out there. Hey, God, come visit us. He's actually already here. And so that's what panentheism means, all pan in in theism in God. So God is the very source of the universe, and his energy is actually here right now, and you're participating in it. Though he is separate from it, he is not the energy, but yet he is what is sustaining it. And I'll give you some examples in just a moment, but before I do, let us just look to these scriptures, and you ask yourself which one gives the best idea, because as a Christian, you really only have two views. That's the dualistic view or the panentheistic view. Later on in Ephesians, as we'll get to it, Ephesians 4, 6, it says, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and what? In all. In all. So in some sense, God is in us. We're going to learn the distinction of what that means in just a moment. But it's God in all. So God can be in this table in a way, but not in the way of the pantheist, not in the way of the person who says the table is God, 
But God can be in the table or in the particles, the energy. We'll talk a little bit about that. Got you peaked on that, didn't I? Got a little interest. Look at Romans 11.36. For from him, and what is this right here? Through him, through him, and for him are how many things? All things to him be the glory forever. So not only is God visiting, but it seems like the universe actually comes through him. And the universe is still here. That must mean it's still coming through him. So he's not visiting something. He's actually letting something come through him. Mm, He's in all things, and all things go through him. And as long as it's existing, it's going through him. And we're getting deep, aren't we? And then here Paul, actually in Acts 17, while he's preaching to the pagans, used one of their pagan philosopher's sayings. This is a pagan philosopher. He actually bites a part of uh, Little Wayne's lyric here in a sense. He bites off a little of a lyric from Kanye, and he puts it into his sermon because it's biblical to the mindset of the church. Acts 17, 28, for In him, I know it's hard for you to see, but somebody say in him. For in him we live and move and have our being. Well, so it seems like we got a lot of in hims there, don't we? So what's the distinction? Let me give you the distinction. As the rays of the sun are separate from the sun itself, yet they exist as emanations from the sun, so the universe and all that is in it is separate from God's actual nature, his essence, but they are his very emanations, his energies. Everybody say essence and energies. This is what the theologians of the Greek tradition did early on during the time of the 300s, began to make these distinctions between God's energy and his essence. So God's energy is in the particle physics that holds up his cha- this chair or this pulpit, but his essence is in me. His essence is his person. His person is not in the table, as the Hindu says, but his energies are. It's his power. But he is not his energy no more than the ray of the sun is the sun itself. But the ray is dependent upon the sun, isn't it? You have no sun, you have no sun rays. As long as the sun is shining, you have rays coming from, emanating from the sun. What is this whole entire universe? The emanation of God. This is the emanation of our God. Right now, the physicists have found the thumber, 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 the thumbprint of our God, and what they call string theory. Michio Kaku, one of the greatest founders right now of our day of string theory, says we've discovered the mind of God in mathematics through particle physics. I'll let that blow your mind. That doesn't mean they worship God. It just means they have to bow their knee at his knowledge now. We have found the fundamental building blocks of reality. It's not God. It's the emanation of God's power. It's not the sun. It's his rays. Are you tracking? For from him and through him are all things. For in him we live and move and have our being. The next thing that we need to understand is that God's energy, those emanations literally are sustaining all that is right now. And the universe could not be unless he is. And the is has to be present. That's why he said when Moses asked, who should I say sent me to the pharaohs who believe, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians who have thousands of God, you tell them the I am that the I am has sent you. The great I am, the great present, Alpha Omega, beginning and end all at once. The I am that I am. By his word, 
Everything right now is based on sound and light and particle physics, string theory, sound and light. The word and the light of God, it's what holds all of this together presently right now. Presently. You could not hold a blade of grass unless God was holding you. Everything is being held by his mighty power in hand. You can go back to atheism as you want, but stupid is as stupid does. Here's the reason why you're here, my friends. Now watch this. Everybody say, deep. This is my last chance to go deep with you because chapter 2 is all going to be practical, saved by grace, and it gets into a lot of things. It's going to be awesome. But here's my last chance to go deep. Watch this. Watch this, y'all, especially guys who like to play video games and people who like sci-fi who, who, who are going to watch Wonder Woman on iTunes with their kids today. Come on. We, we, we got to get into this. Watch this. Watch this. Our reality in matter and space-time. So just take everything you see, you wave your hand through, you breathe in. Everything is in matter and space-time. The whole entire thing from the microscope, microscope to the telescope. All of that is a virtual world produced by God from his greater and more real spiritual reality which would be like us creating a computer-based reality from our greater physical reality. Now watch this. I'm going to show you the three spheres of reality right now. Are you ready? Let's say right now I go on this computer and I start playing SimCity right here. There is a virtual reality. Let's say I put on the goggles. I'm there. You guys have tried it before at the mall and different things, right? That is a reality. But now watch. I step out of that virtual reality into this reality, which is the actual real world of matter and space-time, right? Now watch the third dimension. God stands back in his spiritual reality and says, y'all came from me. Because in the beginning was God. Before there was ever heavens and earth created God's spiritual reality. You are an emanation from the spiritual realm. You were created from spirit. You were created from a God who did not need matter in space-time. From the realm of spirit, God created matter in space-time, just like how we in matter in space-time comp create computer games. So what is more real, me or the computer game? Now what is more real between me and God? God, as I make the computer game, God makes me. I am God's virtual reality because God could boop, shut me off right now and he'll still exist. I can shut this game off right now and I still exist and God can shut off matter, space, and time and he still exists. How many want to bow your knee and worship that one? The creator, our God. We are not worshiping a figment of our imagination. We are worshiping the gods, the God of heaven and earth. There is no other explanation for the world except for our God. Other religions can try to borrow our views, but they will contradict themselves and lead to error every single time. And let me explain to you really quick on why when you talk, whether it's to Muslims or Hindus or to a Jehovah Witness or to anybody, even a Roman Catholic who has much in common with us, by the way. Roman Catholics would have the most common in, in, in our worldview, but it's how they live it out that it becomes an error, you know. But here, here's the reason why. It's because the God who we are in sent us the Scriptures to teach us His truth. So anything that is not in the Scripture that you think is true is by default false. 
And the only way you would ever know it was false is if you knew the truth. How do you know 2 plus 2 does not equal 5? Because you know 2 plus 2 equals what? How do you know you're up and when you're not, how do you know what, what, what way you're facing from up to down to left to right unless you start setting? This is north, this is south, this is east, this is west. What is the compass of mankind? The Bible. The Bible says that it is that divine revelation. Everything else is a copy. Now, sometimes people in comparative religion classes get offended by that, and they say, well, there's so many religions, and there's so many uh, things that they share in common. That's true. If I took a copy of a dollar bill and started making a bunch of bad copies, all of those bad copies would have something in common. But it's not the errors of the copies that show you the truth. It's the truth in what they have in common that shows you there's a real dollar bill Somewhere. So when I look at the Aztecs sacrificing 10,000 of the, of the tribal people, think about that next indigenous day. All my Latino friends, I love to tease you like this. Oh, I love the Aztecs. Oh, I love them. Bum, 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 bum. They sacrificed 10,000 of their own people, okay? They ripped out their hearts and ate them because they thought they were gods. Are you tracking with me? But what did they understand? Blood sacrifice. Where did that come from? The copy, the copy, the copy that God taught Adam. The moral code, the copy, the copy, the copy that God told Adam. Every religion comes back to the original copy that God told Adam and Eve and what he revealed through the scriptures. If you don't believe it, test it to be so. Amen. Sorry to pick on my, my Aztecs and Incans here. I love you guys. Where's the Aztec warrior? Let's lighten the mood. Birdo, Birdo, Birdo. Where are you at, Birdo? Birdski. There he is, the Aztec warrior. Birdo, hold me in your arms like they do in the Mexican restaurants. Somebody chat. I just had to make it a little bit light because it's so deep today. Would you take a picture of this? Oh, that is my Aztec warrior. I love hanging out with him. I look up to him, literally. So here's where we're at now. Somebody say, make it plain. Because we don't want to get lost in just the philosophical. Let us go now to the practical. Here is the practical. This is what Paul is saying. Listen to the scripture again as it comes up here. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Everybody say everything for the church. Thank you. Which is his body. Now here's the deep thing. The body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Hold on now. So God the Father uses Jesus Christ in a special way in the age to come through the church for not only his energy to be in the world, but for his essence, his presence. The presence of God is in us now, but in the age to come, we will literally be the conduits of his presence to the entire world. Y'all, I worked so hard on that, I didn't even get half an Amen. Y'all have no idea how deep that is. What I think I need to do, and I, I found this out in the first service, and by the way, today we're going to hit probably 275 because first service was packed on both sides here today. Let's give it up for people coming to church, amen? We're going over 250. We hit 250 in the middle of the summer. Now we're going over to 275. God is really blessing, and that's why we needed two healthy services. Now watch this because I'm going to go through it again. I wish I would just have one of you come up here and try to explain it because then you would know how hard it is. Just try to explain this. 
His body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The body of Christ fills everything in every way. How does that happen? Well, this is how it happens. It happens because in the age to come, we are literally the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the conduits. Right now, there's a movie coming out about geostorms, and the idea is we send up these kind of satellites into the atmosphere to control the weather, Now, like that was going to be a good idea, and then they go crazy and start destroying the world. But here's the thing. We will be the conduits of God's glory to creation, controlling the weather, governing the people, leading the charge through justice and righteousness, the king kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven is this. The church will be what fills the literal universe with the presence of God. The presence of God. His energy is already here. And in us right now, we have it in a jar of clay, the Bible says. We have, have a taste, a deposit of the glory by the Holy Spirit. But this is the revelation. This is the end of the story. The sons and daughters of God revealed in the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? Now, how many want to hear some more scripture on that? Because that's where I need you to understand that. Because this is the truth that it is teaching us in the Scripture. Now watch this. The glorified sons and daughters of God will be the power source that God uses to make right everything in the universe. Anybody remember Jesus calming the storm? That's what we will do. We will speak to the hurricanes and go, you don't get to do that. This is what we do in Jesus' name. We're here now. Watch. Back up, back up. Garden of Eden. Who's in charge of the earth? God put man in charge of the earth. What did man do? Sin. What did God have to do? Become a man and get back the authority. What does he do now? Gives it to his children because he's always wanted us to rule and reign like him upon this earth. In his name, by his authority. Are you tracking with me? You see, now the essence of God, though it's separate from his energies, there is the time coming when the church will make the essence, the presence of God known to the entire world. We will be the manifestations of God's presence upon the earth. How many want to see it in the Bible? Okay, enough, enough of my philosophy. You guys want to see it in the Bible? And I want you to be absolutely honest with me if you want to give me a raise after this, okay? Not to say I need it, but I'll just need a little, little tap on the back because I think this scripture is actually going to blow some of your minds now because I bet you've read it and you've never saw it this way, right? So can I at least get a little encouragement, like a smile after? I'm not even going to preach it real quick. I'm just going to read it. And, if it. and if a light turns on, would you just please encourage me with a smile? I know we're supposed to be a pastors that don't care about what you think, but I actually do care today about what you think. Because this was a tough message, and I'm going to make it plain in just a minute. But I need you to hear this and tell me if it doesn't all come together and blow your mind. All in God and God using the church to manifest his glory. Ready? Here it is. Romans, same author by Paul. Now he's writing to the Romans instead of the people of Ephesus. Here's what he says. For the creation, matter and space time, universe, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation, matter and space-time, universe, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
Praise God for His Word. Come on, did some light, come on, did, you, did something get revealed in your heart? Do you see what Paul is praying? Children of God, light of the world, we got glory in us and it's about ready to come through us. We're about ready to set creation straight. We're going to tell the lion to lay with the lamb. We're going to punish those who do the wrongdoing. And we don't have to enforce it like jihadi warriors now. No. When will we know the kingdom comes like that? When Jesus comes back and we have glorified bodies. Now until then we preach the gospel, make disciples, prepare for the kingdom to come. For that's the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is coming to full fruition. We will command darkness to leave. We will command sin to stop. We'll do it for a thousand years to prove to the devil God got his Adam and Eve right. You see, because some of you think like that. Well, why didn't God, after Adam and Eve, just annihilate them? Annihilate them. He could have, just like you shut off the video game, he could have just annihilated human history. Or he could have did like what my kids do because they're learning how to play Street Fighter now. They could have just went, Jesus could have went to the next character. Chun-Li didn't work. Now I'm going to go to Ryu. Now Ryu didn't work. He could have literally went, he, Adam, okay, Adam didn't work. Ricky, Ricky didn't work. Next, uh, Daryl. He could have went through the whole thing and then sent us all to hell. I mean, it would have been true and right. You had your chance, Jose. You made your mistake. Now you're in hell. Next, now you're in hell. Now, now you know. But no, this is what he did. He became a man to get what men had lost. And that's now why, watch, he's forever the God-man, our Savior, because through his body, matter and space-time now get the doorway into the essence, not just the energy, but the essence of God. By his flesh, it goes to the church and the church to the universe. That's the prayer of Paul. Wow. You mean Paul said all of that? Yeah, let me just go back over it again because you, you, guys, you guys read it. It was there. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church because this place is important because we're representing that kingdom to come, which is the church, which is his body. And how important is the body to him? It is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Because of the church on planet earth after judgment day, the lamb will lie down with the lion because we're here. As it was in the Garden of Eden. Because we're here, peace will be upon the earth. God didn't want to play with robots. God wanted free will creatures to choose him. And this was the plan all along. And so what do we call from Adam in the Garden of Eden to the Second Adam, Jesus Christ in the body in the Garden of Eden restored. What do we call everything in between? A test. What's your testimony? Are you going to trust Jesus now in the, the valley of the shadow of death and of evil and of trouble and trial? Are you going to put your faith and hope in him knowing that he's going to set everything right? Can I hear an amen? Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Here's five takeaways. Thank you for letting me be relying upon my notes today. 
Um, by the way, yes, we are going to rule and reign with him in the church and I, with, the, with the church upon the earth. Romans 8, 29, Revelation 20, 46. Here are the takeaways if you want to know what it should mean to your everyday life. Number one, God is always with you. His energy and power, let's just say power, so don't think energy, dude. His power is here. He's not somewhere way off over there. He's right here. He sustains the molecules that sustain this table. As I'm holding this computer, like I said, he's holding me. And so what should you do? Let him fill everything in your life right now in every way. Think of hell like this. It's the garbage disposal of heaven. Everything the water pushes out and goes down there, goes down into the sewer. Whatever's not right in your life, if you're a sinner, is going to take you to hell with it. Whatever is here upon the earth, God's going to flush it all down the, the toilet, in other words. But the pure, the holy, stay. And so don't hold on to the junk and get flushed down with it. Get out of there. Get out of the sin. And now let God fill you. Let him change your heart now because he will do away with evil. And he'll do away with it in you or through you. See, when he does away with evil through you, he, he cleanses your mind and cleanses your heart so you get to stay. But if he does it in you, you're going with it. Does that make sense? So let him fill you now. Let him cleanse you now. Let him filter the junk out before you're filtered out with the junk. I hope that makes sense. Number, number two is that simple thing we were singing today is nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. The Bible literally says, go back over the story of crucifixion every time you feel you're unloved and think about what he did for you. That's what you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to tell ourselves that story again and go, if he didn't spare Jesus for me, he won't hold back anything good for me. So whatever I face, my pain has a purpose. Whatever pain I face has a purpose. Whatever 80 years I go through of hardships and trial, it's got a purpose. And in the end, I'll understand it. Sometimes we understand it now. For example, I was talking to a survivor of a, neuro, of a brain surgery. She had neuro problems in her brain. And, and it, was tr it was so hard for her. She almost wished like she could die, you know, to go through all the pain and the recovery, you know, all of that. I'm sure you guys could relate to how bad that would feel. But as we were talking, she understood the pain had a purpose because if my children children had a choice. Mom dies at 35 or mom has a bad year at 35 and then gets to live another 10 years. Children, what would you take? I would sadly take mom having a bad 35 and then living 36, 37, 38, right? So the pain has a purpose. People have been abused and they say, oh man, what purpose could come out of my abusive father or my mother or whatever's been done to me? How about this? You learn now what is evil. And now in your heart, you can help others to recognize good versus evil because you saw the face of it. That's evil. Someone who hurts an innocent child, that's evil. Don't go to hell with evil people because you get bitter towards God. Get better and healed and now help people go to heaven. Use the rest of your life as a healed person to say, I know there's evil and that's what it looks like. And I pray even for the evil of my father or mother to change so they go to heaven because I don't want them to go to hell either because they probably had something evil happen to them or they got deceived by something. Are you listening? Pain has a purpose. Nothing can separate us from our love. Number three, watch this. He said, wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am. You can be on your job all day long. 
and be in a mindset of doing work. And it's cool. Like, we're on the same team. Synergy. Let's get the job done. Create this product. Sell this thing. Build this building. You know, do this medical practice. And that's one thing, right, of synergy. But watch. Have you ever got around another Christian and something just changed instantly? It went from a synergy of, oh, you get me, you understand me, to like, oh, man, I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. Like, I just built a building with this guy in the construction site. We had fun. That was great. But that went away after, you know, we celebrated. That was a a short-lasting high. That synergy only went so deep. But how many know when you get around a brother or sister, you feel the intangible presence, the essence of God. And it's like, whoa, man, that's what I'm living for. Listen to me. I had friends in the world for 10 years, and I was never as close to some of them. Uh, some of, I was never close to them as I am to some of you, and I've only known you for a few months. Why? Because we meet at these altars, we meet evangelize, we meet at Bible study, and it's like, whoa, man, you are deep in my heart right now. God is using you. And I knew people for 10 years that never could get past the surface. Are you listening? And then the Bible says that the eyes of our heart are opened and enlightened. So now we walk around with this idea of like, hey, I know how this ends. You know, we pray for the hurricanes. Maybe it's going to come. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'm going to be there to help the victims. We're all going to live and die. We're all going to die eventually. Some will die by a hurricane. Some will die by a car accident. Some will die by cancer. So I'm going to always be ready to meet Jesus. I'm going to make sure I'm ready. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have hope for those that I get to touch as long as I'm alive. Sounds like a plan to me, right? I'm going to pray against the bad things of the world, and then whether they happen or not, I'm going to say, okay, God, you must be using this to teach humanity a lesson. There's a purpose in the pain. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring your teaching during this time, your healing, your hope, your love, your support, and we're going to prepare people for a kingdom because I got hope, I got an inheritance, and I got power. Doesn't that kind of flip things around? That's why Christians do the most charity. That's why we can go to the devastated people and go, hey, it's going to be all right. But when we say it's going to be all right, are we saying it flippantly? No, we're saying it based on the hope, the inheritance, and the power of God. And then lastly, all of us have great things to achieve for God's kingdom right now. Think of yourself having what the Bible literally says, the treasure in a little jar of clay. You have the great God inside of you in a portion A portion, not like you have a portion of God, but his power and all, it's portioned. They're not going to see your face glow, but you know what? They may see some wisdom in your life if you let God use you. They may see your love. They may see your humility when you're getting mistreated instead of you lashing out. There is a portion of God's essence and energy combined together that is a taste of the kingdom. It's literally a foretaste. I think when we come here, we get a little taste of the energy and essence combined together, don't we? I think when we pray before our sport games, we get a little taste, don't we? I think when businesses pray, like Hobby Lobby, and they start to take Sundays off, we get a little taste. I think when scientists start to pray, like the man who invented the MRI MRI was a Christian. You see, when we go into our world and we let the presence of God and his energy in the world we're in impact the world, it starts to, like what I say, leave little bread breadcrumbs to heaven. It starts saying, hey, we can't prove it to you. I can't tell you all what's in my heart. You know, I can't, you know, I can't explain it to you, but I know there's a God. I know he's touching me. I know he's changing me. And he'll do the same for you. Just look at what he's already done. 
And we can point to those things. How many, if right now I asked you to point to something in your life to show Arby the kingdom of God, you could do it? Literally, if I said, go talk to Maria, show, Maria, show him a taste of the kingdom of God. Give him a bread trail on, on the way to heaven, right? Talk to her. Who else? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Ron, uh, Randall, Randall, right behind you. He'll, he'll give you a breadcrumb on your way. Jose, see, something that he could actually look at. Now, it's up to him whether or not he wants to believe it was a miracle, but he'll see something great in your life. The essence and the energy of God, kingdom, a marker, pointing him, right? And then he'll start to have his own. My daughter, if I said the same thing to you right now in closing, if I said, how many of you could point my daughter to heaven through your life on earth right now? How many of you could show some breadcrumbs? You could say, hey, have your daughter come talk to me. I'll show her how God's kingdom has literally come through my life. I'll just give you one story right here. I hardly ever have dreams uh, that are godly. I have dreams all the time, but they're usually crazy, okay? Can anybody else relate? I just, I just had a dream where I was giving a man, a, a pastor, two months of rent. Some of you have heard it, but it's a good, it's a good trail. It's, a, it's something to throw down for somebody to see there's a God, and he's moving through his kingdom right now. So God's presence just came to me in a dream, showed me giving this guy the rent for two months. I literally woke up in the morning to my wife saying, Here's a FedEx envelope we just got in the mail. Open it. I'm in bed. I unzip it, and it's a check for $12,000. Someone had just tithed off an inheritance. Now I'm happy. At the same time, I start arguing with God, saying, that wasn't a dream for me to give away any of this money, was it? I think I just made that up. I'm being honest with you. You'll hear the story. Watch. I'm arguing. Ben, would you come quickly as we get ready to close? Watch. I start arguing with God, and God goes, no, that was me. I call up the person, and I say, the pastor, I say, could you use help with your rent? Because I feel like God told me to give you a month of rent. He said, we were praying literally last night for God to do a miracle because if we don't have the month's rent, our church closes down. So I said, praise God, here's your month of rent. How much is it? He said, it was like $2,000. Here's your month of rent. I justified it by saying, you know what, that was just, you know, two months was like a figurative thing. It was like all analytical and metaphorical. It just really meant a month. That's just really all it meant. Because I didn't want to let go of four Gs. See, everybody says they'll tithe off a million, but they don't tithe off $10. Liar, liar, pants on fire. If you don't tithe off $10, you ain't going to tithe off a million. Because that's $100,000. That's a big check. That's your yacht. Come on, somebody. I'm literally out with my wife, heart beating, convicted the next day. And I'm like, I got to tell you this dream. And she is like, oh my goodness, that is God. What is wrong with you? I call him up. Now watch, watch. I call him up. It's an evening. We're at Biagio's. They're off of Harlem in Lawrence. I call him up and he goes, bro, I was literally in a prayer meeting. I just came out of the prayer meeting right now because when you call me, it's a good thing. So I just checked my phone and he actually, he'll tell you the story. He actually said, everybody check their phones because I just got a call from Joe the other day. Maybe somebody's going to call us because we, we need us. And this is what he said. He said, I needed the month's rent because I was already behind. I really needed the second month to get me straight for this month. I needed two months to put it all right. Come on, somebody. Now, 
I can't tell you that I got a dream for you tonight. You know what I'm saying? I can't reproduce those things. But I can tell you this, that that's a road sign pointing to the kingdom of God. That shows you God's at work. So here's the prayer before we go. God, fill every part of me with you in every way so that in the age to come you may fill me to be a part of what fills everything in every way. So watch this. God starts by filling you right now in every way. Starts by filling us. And then he fills everything through us. But it starts now in us to go through us. Y'all get it? Could we just close our eyes right now and raise up our hands and say, God, fill me up. Come on, before we dismiss, we'll stand in just a moment. Altar workers, would you come, please? Would you come, please? Come on. Just say, Lord, fill me with your presence. We know the energy of God is here. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as a universe. But do you have the presence, the essence of God in your spirit right now? If you're not saved or born again, just say, Lord, I want to be born again. I want to be reborn of the spirit. Those of you who say, I am born again, but maybe there are things in your life that are not right, those kind of things we call sins, that they've attached themselves to you and your behavior, God says, I want to get that junk out so I can fill you up with better things. I want to take away perversion and give you purity. I want to take away anxiety and worry and give you peace. I want to take away anger and give you a calm spirit. Come on. Pray through right now those things in your life. Say, God, filter them out right now, Jesus. So everybody right now is praying. Everybody right now is praying. They're either praying to be born again or those who are born again are saying, Lord, filter, filter me right now because I want to be filled in every way with your presence, in every way, in every way with your presence, in every way, in every way. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Now, if you want to be a conduit for God to use in what we would say are small ways but are significant to others, would you stand and as you stand, start praying for a part of the world you live in that right now you can bring a touch of God's glory. You can be that breadcrumb trail to heaven for somebody else. As those of you who are standing, come on, pray out those areas. Lord, use me in my family. Use me with my loved ones to help point them to your kingdom. Use me, Father God. Use me, Jesus. Use me on my job. Use me in my community with my neighbors. Right now, God is able. What I want to do before we dismiss is pray for those who are sick in their body because we believe we can speak to the sick body, the creation, right now and ask it to change in Jesus' name. We can't guarantee it, but we can say God told us to do it, and it does work. It does work. So if you're sick in your body, would you come quickly right now? We're going to get some oil and pray for you before we dismiss. We want to pray for you. It doesn't matter if you have cancer or a cold. We want to pray for you right now. Don't be shy. Come quickly before we dismiss. We're going to pray for sick people right now. Be healed. In Jesus' name, as the oil starts coming, just anoint them. The oil is a command from God to do as a reminder of the Holy Spirit's presence. That's why we do it. James chapter 5 commands it. It's a tangible reminder 
of what the Holy Spirit can do right now. Those of you standing, stretch your hands right now towards these bodies and command them to be healed in Jesus' name. Use your God-given authority right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. Would you please step up? I'll pray for you too. Thank you. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed. You can pray just for these ladies to be healed in Jesus' name. Healing. Our God is a healer. Our God is a healer. We can speak to bodies to be healed. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you are here, as we're praying for those who are sick before we dismiss, if you are here and you have any addiction, whether it be to food, to cigarettes, to alcohol, to pills, to pornography, any addiction, we're not going to judge you. We're not even going to ask you. We just want you to come. We're going to pray for freedom from an addiction. Just come up right now. We're going to pray for freedom from your addictions. There was a day I smoked, and then there was a day I never smoked again. And it's been 20 plus years. This can be your moment of freedom from an addiction right now. Keep praying for the sick. Now those who need to be free from addictions, just raise up your hands. Raise up your hands wherever you are. Congregation, stretch your hands towards them and say, be free in Jesus' name. Come on, let's pray for them. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom from every addiction. Freedom. Freedom. In Jesus' name, healing, deliverance. Those who are up here getting prayed, whether you're sick or needing deliverance, just say, I am healed. I am healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I am delivered. I am set free in Jesus' name. Never the same again. Keep praying. We're going to get ready to dismiss now. Lord, I thank you that you are in this place. And that more than just you being present here with your energy and your power, you're also in this place of our heart. And your love is here. And your compassion is here. I pray, Lord, that your kingdom will come and your will be done in us and through us this week like never before. Change the world through us. And may we remember this prayer of Paul whenever we get discouraged and prepare us next week to hear the message of grace. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, and everybody said, amen. We're going to keep praying, but you're dismissed. Slap somebody high five and say, Jesus loves you. God bless you. We're going to worship. Feel free to come up. For